Amen. Well, grab a Bible and make your way this morning to the gospel to First John, excuse me, First John chapter five. First John chapter five. It's where we are on Sunday mornings. We'll be making our way verse by verse, and we're almost done. We'll be finishing this up next week, and yet it's where we are today. And with great joy, we want to invite you to be there with us. So, hope you brought a Bible. You're making your way there now. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you here in the sanctuary, page number on the screen. Or you can use an electronic device if that works good for you and have that open uh, to the Bible, longing that you would have the Scriptures open in front of you. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, it is the same invitation. We're so glad to have you with us. But we certainly invite you this morning to have a copy of the Scriptures and have them open because I just want to echo the reality that this is the Word of God that we get a chance to study this together, but that which you need is here. God's Word is powerful. He is able to work into our lives, and and I just want to invite you to give your attention to His Word, that if you're going to pay attention to something this morning, pay attention to that, and, and long that His Word and its power would meet you and open up to what He has for you in your life. And so let's ask Him for that. I'm going to lead in prayer. I hope you would just pray as well, asking that God would do what He says, that He would give us ears to hear that which the Spirit would speak to us this morning through the Word of God. Let's ask for that now. God, thank you for your Word. As we get ready to spend this time studying it, I just want to echo out, God, this is your Word, that which you have given us, that you have spoken to us, that shines light into this dark world. I thank you for what you tell us, that your Word is not like anything else written down. You said it's alive. You said it's powerful, that it's able to just work deeply inside of our lives, transforming us, and it is with great joy I ask for that right now. For some of us who are reading the scriptures together, uh, we read in Mark 4 today about Jesus, you describing your word being like seed that enters into hearts and transforms, and yet in that parable of the soils, you talked about the danger of our hearts being unreceptive to that, and I pray against that. I pray against anything that would have us hardened to your truth this morning, anything that would have us just shallow and not letting your word go deeply into our lives, even just the weeds that would just choke out your word. Lord, I pray against all of that, and I ask, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us ears to hear? Would your word just go deeply into our lives, transforming and working? Would you do in your word what I could never even imagine? but I believe in it. I believe in your word that you're able to to just do that transformative good thing. So I pray that you give us ears to hear in your word. We'd just be at work in this time and space. We ask for that right now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fake items are a problem. In our world today, honestly, they are. They can be both tragic, they can be criminal in many ways to to watch people kind of creating fake products of different things, but sometimes they can be almost humorous. Oh, maybe you know what I'm speaking about. Every now and then someone will, you know, put one of these sites up on the internet that kind of catalogs things that are phony products that are out there. And I found myself looking at a few of them this week, like this one, the lion thing, Chufasa. Uh, you know, kind of a deal. If anybody goes like, wait, it's, wait, that, that's like Lion King and Chewbacca kind of mixed together. It's like, no, you can't, you can't really do that. Or, or, or this one, 
that is the king of the magic rings, got a little Lord of the Rings with a Star Wars helmet, you know, kind of, you know, like, wait, you can't, you're kind of getting it all mixed up, you get it all wrong, or, or this one, the Revengers, uh, kind of get the, the incredible fella, you know, instead of the incredible Hulk, you know, kind of deal. Hey, these things, hey, these are our counterfeits. These are false items that people have kind of put out there, you know, to kind of just, you know, lead people astray, and people end up buying them, and that, those kinds of things, and going wrong, and it's kind of a tragic thing in some ways, kind of funny, but let's own it for a second. The bigger the thing that's counterfeited, the more serious it becomes. I think about it this way, when Jesus just said it, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With incredible clarity, Jesus lets us know that he is the only way. And I want to hold out to you that because that's true, anything that counterfeits Christ, anything that offers something other than him becomes not just a a sad thing. It becomes an eternally serious, tragic thing. Yeah, that's what we need to think about this morning is we want to look at kind of this picture of this authentic Christianity, that the, the real deal, that which God would have before us, that's what he's holding out in our text this morning as we are there in 1 John chapter 5. Before we dive into it, I just want to point out to you that three times he uses in this single verse the word true. Three times he uses the word true. So that in mind, let's read it, and I want you just again to pay careful attention to him saying it that way. Verse 20, he reads it this way. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. And in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. True. True. Yeah, true, he says it again and again, and in so doing, he's drawing us to an understanding of that which is the real thing, that which is authentic. That's the idea of true. In fact, it's really clear within the word that's used here, it's, the, it's that which is real or genuine over against that which is phony or fake. But please, again, track with me for a moment. When we think about this, we're not talking about something in comparative measures. It's that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is real and that which is phony. In other words, again, this isn't the kind of thing where you would have something like uh, name brand you know, drugs over against a generic thing. We'd say, well, you know, generic, it kind of, you know, doesn't have the name, but it kind of is. No, to use the word true here, it's like saying this works and this doesn't. Hey, this is real. And, and this is phony, and not only is it, you know, wrong, not only is it the opposite, it doesn't work, it doesn't accomplish, it doesn't do what we so desperately need. What is it it is? What's he holding out which is true? Well, notice with me the sentence that's at the end of verse 20. The last sentence of that verse says it this way, this is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God and, if you will, the true eternal life. This is that which is authentic, the God who is authentic and the life that is authentic, the real deal. What we gaze into this in the beginning part of this is understanding that God is inviting us to understand that he's the real God. He is the only God. 
Let me say that as clear as God would give me strength to say it. There's a lot of things that call themselves by the name of God in our world. But the scripture is really clear. Everything else is phony. Everything else is a fake. There is one true and living God. There is one God in everything else in this world that kind of manufactures itself that way is not. I think about it in the Shema, which is that passage in Hebrews 6 that is recited by the Jews almost daily and the celebration of who God is. And out of it flows the great commandment that many of you know. It says it this way in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Our God, He is one. And the idea of one is He is the one and only. I mean, there is no other God. He is the one, only living, true God. In fact, earlier in Deuteronomy, He says it this way. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord Himself is God, and there is none other beside Him. There are no other gods. There are no other gods. Now, that's really clear. He lands that for us. And just in case you're thinking, well, Jim, that's Old Testament. I mean, I get it. But it's true all the way through the Scriptures. And so in the book of Corinthians, New Testament, Paul would say it this way. And we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. There's no, idols are nothing. We'll talk more about that next week as we get to the last verse of 1 John. But it's, again, worth your just hearing. There's no other God. There's no other God. Everything that purports to be a God, that says, hey, this is God, or this is you know, a God out there, it's all a lie. Everything else out there in our universe, there's only one God in the entire universe. Our God is the only one, and so everything else that claims to be God isn't. Now, that's a tragic reality, and yet sometimes God almost in a humorous way seeks to kind of wake people up to this. And so there's this refrain that's found in a few paces in the Old Testament, and God would almost mock uh, these things that are other gods. He would say it this way in Psalm 115, the idols are silver and gold. They are the works of man's hands. They are man-created, like men made this up. They, they made it up. It didn't exist. They aren't really gods. And he says they have mouths but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And he would go on. You know, they have noses, they can't smell. They have hands, they can't handle. They have feet, they can't walk. And his description is meant to be awakening. Like, they can't help you. They, they're not really gods. They have no ability to do anything for you. They have no ability to bring any rescue into your life, to have anything else that you worship, to have anything else that you would put hope in, would find that to be a tragic reality because there are no other gods. There's only one God. There's only one God, and that has been something that has really been a part of 1 John. If you've been with us so far in our study of 1 John, we've talked about a bunch of things, but underlying much of what's found in 1 John is an understanding that John was coming against some of the false teachings that were beginning to crop up in those days that sometimes scholars will talk about as Gnosticism. We've mentioned it a few times. I won't spend much time on it except to say it was a lie. It was a lie that people were kind of creating a God in their own image and creating a, a Jesus in their own image. And so John comes out and he's just saying, no, you can't do that because this is the real deal. Like this is the real God that we serve. 
and, and that we need to see. In fact, go back with me to the beginning of the gospel, I'm sorry, the beginning of the letter of 1 John. Go back to chapter 1 just for a moment and notice how it began. Notice how he just began this whole letter as we're getting near the end this morning. This is that which was from the beginning, that which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, which is the title for Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He says, guys, we've seen it. We're, we're telling you of that which is genuine, which we've known, which we were eyewitnesses of, that this isn't phony, this isn't a fake, this is the real deal. And God has manifested. And the idea of manifest is proclaimed, made clear, made abundantly apparent that God has made himself known. There's only one God. There's only one God, this authentic God. He says, this is the true God. And this true God has made a way of eternal life. Yeah, it was actually right there at the beginning. Of, uh, saw it, you saw it. So look again at the end of verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, We declare to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Yeah, that's what we're celebrating this morning. So you can go back to chapter 5 now and you notice how it ends. And there again in that final sentence, he says, This is the true God and eternal life. There's only one God, and there's only one way. There's only one eternal life. There's only one way to have access into that. There's only one way for that to work. Jesus again said it this way in the verse that we already read this morning. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It just is so apparently clear. I mean, I just want to make sure that you see it. This is so clear. In fact, let me reorder this verse a little bit so you can just see it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't come and say, well, I am a way, like I'm one of the ways. You know, there are other ways, but I'm, I'm you know, my way might be better than, no, he says, like, I, I am the way. Like, there's one way to get into this. I'm it. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets there. There's only one God, and the only way to know Him, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to, to come to the Father is through Jesus. There are no other ways. There are no other access points. There are no other entrances. It's only in Christ. I think about maybe even in that most famous verse in John 3 where it just simply said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So note with me again what's at stake at this moment. He says, I'm giving you this. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that we could have everlasting life or eternal life. That which our text is telling us. This is the true God and the true eternal life. Miss that and you perish. Miss that, and it's eternal death. Miss this, it's altogether 
horrendous. And I just want you to think about that reality with me for a moment. Maybe it's abundantly clear just as I say it that way, but the serious of this is to recognize whatever thing is faked, that becomes the estimate of that which is at risk. So I began you with a silly thing, right? I showed you toys that were counterfeits. So what's at stake at that moment? Well, maybe disappointment. I mean, I mean, maybe if you, you, know, you, 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 you think, man, I found this great deal. I'm going to buy it for my, my nephew or my niece or my grandson. And, I got and then you get it to them and they're like, Grandpa, you got taken. Like, that's, like this, is, this is not real. I mean, like you just, like disappointment. Like, and it, you, what, what you've risked at that moment is, is the, the limit to what a gift could be. But let's change it, the, the scenario. What if it's money? What if it's a counterfeit, you know, $100 bill or a counterfeit $20 bill? How much could you lose? Well, as much as you have. So as much as you've invested into that, that's how much you could lose, and it's really the limit of it. Or change the scenario. What if it's not a counterfeit bill? What if it's a counterfeit investment scheme? And so it's a Ponzi scheme, or it's something, and somebody gets you to invest your retirement into that. Well, what, you, what would you lose? Well, whatever you've invested you could lose your retirement. You could lose what that is. Again, not a, not a minor thing, but it's as, you know, it's as big as the thing that is being copied. What if it's medically? Maybe you're already aware of this, but counterfeit, counterfeit medicine is a huge deal across our world today. Much more in third world countries than it is in the United States, but still present in the United States. And so every year there are tragic stories of people that, you know, buy medicine online or somebody gives them medicine and they say, hey, this is the real thing or this is, you know, that which can help you. And then somebody takes a counterfeit medicine and instead of it being life-giving, it destroys them. Happens, happens all the time. Happens around the world day. It's a huge deal, quite honestly. I read a number of stories of them this week and thought about even sharing some of them, but I think it's enough for me just to tell you it's, it's horrendous. It's a horrendous thing to think through because you could almost try to imagine the angst of it. So you have someone that maybe they have cancer or maybe they, they have something and somebody offers them some, hey, this is a pill. This will be that which fixes you. And so you, you buy it with whatever you can afford and then to find that it doesn't help. And for many of them, it takes their life. It, it, it's a pill that now is destructive to them, happens all the time. And it's something that is just horrendous. It's one of these places of thinking, and that's horrendous to think somebody had hope that this would be, you know, help or healing or rescue. Instead of that, it takes their physical life. That, that maybe sets kind of the bar a little bit higher, but can I tell you that pales next to this? For if you only lost your physical life, if you only lost your health, that would be bad, but if it's, if it's your eternal soul, if, if it's your very reality that's at stake at this moment, it sets the level of the counterfeit bigger than, than any words that I could put to it. I mean, if it's right now that there's someone who's offering up a, another way to heaven or another way to God and it doesn't work, you've put your soul at risk. You've put your very eternal soul at risk. And that's why John is bringing this about. That's what he's kind of trying to say at this moment that sets this altogether high and the sad reality is that there are many people who have done it. Again, there are many people today in our world, you, you probably know, right? And they are worshiping gods that are not gods. 
They are worshiping gods that aren't really gods. And so whether it be in India, you know, whether it be through some Buddhism or Confucianism, or whether it be in Islam, or whether it be in some of the cults that are there, even those who kind of create another Jesus that isn't really Jesus, and Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, I mean, here's the scary thing. They're not really gods. It's not really going to work. They've invested their very lives into something that at the very moment of like, hey, I'm hoping and I'm living for this, and yet they've chosen something that not only isn't really a God, but it doesn't save. And so John is just pleading with us right now. He is pleading with us to understand that there's, there's one God and there's one way. There's one God, there's the true God, and there's the true eternal life. And and because that is as serious as it is, there is nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important to get right than this. You could get everything else wrong. You could you could buy the wrong toys. You could invest in the wrong strategies. And you know it's you know in the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. But get this wrong. Get this wrong. Buy into the counterfeit. Buy into the lie. Be one of those who kind of looks at this and says, well, that's that, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I really see it that way. It's not going to work well for you. And it might surprise you. I know that right here in this room, there are probably some in that category, some watching online that you're hearing me right now, and yet somehow in the back of your mind, you still don't believe it. You, you're kind of one of those people that sit here and go, well, you know, I kind of just believe, it. you know, as long as you believe there's a God, you're going to make it. I mean, as long as you kind of just believe, I mean, it doesn't really matter what you name them or call them. I mean, it's just God. As long as you just kind of, and I tell you, that's not going to work out well for you. That's not going to go well for you. You've believed a lie or any other thing. It's a lie. There's one God. There's one way. And, and so he's landing it for us. He's trying to land this letter by just saying, hey, that's what we need to make sure we have. That's what we need to make sure that we're a part of, that we see that reality. So notice it again there in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. And in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So the authentic God, the true God, the only way to be saved is being laid out to us. And as he does this, he, he, he just speaks this and he calls us to these things that are true. So we looked at that last you know, word true, that this is the word true. This is the true God in eternal life. Let's go back to the first one. And then this, he says it this way. This is again in verse 20. And we know, and we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. So we're being invited into this authentic knowledge, this authentic knowing of who he is, this authentic place of, of knowing him, that that would be what God is longing for in our life. And that's what we need to try to wrap our mind around. Now, he says it so well. I mean, honestly, it's just one of those verses that has so much in, in, in it. I think I'll just put the verse up on the screen or that section of this verse up on the screen so we can wrap our minds around it a little bit. It says, we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. So that's the verse that we're looking at. Notice even the first couple words. It says, we know. 
And as I lay that out to you, I want to remind you, if you have been with us in the study of John, especially if you were here last week, we've actually joined into a final section where we've already begun this. So John is landing. I mean, he's landing the message. This is his conclusion. This is his application. This is his way of saying it. And in these closing statements of 1 John, he makes a series of statements that highlight things that we know, highlights things that are solid. So he says it over and over in these final few verses, and we covered part of that last week, but let's go back and read it uh, before we kind of gaze into where we are this morning. So just back up a couple of verses and notice with me in verse 18. We know that whatever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know, in our verse, that the Son of God has come. So again, if you're just following along, he just says it over and over. He says, there are things that we know. So last week, we looked at the first number of things that were there, things that he said, hey, these are solid. These are things that we talked about them in one sense that you would say, okay, these, are, these don't change. These are like true north. This is like catching yourself on a compass and said, these are things that are there. And in the weight of those, many of those first things had to do with how we land in this world right now. That what this world is or where the battle is for our soul right now, where the things that are taking place. And so we looked at the battle with the flesh and the devil and the world last week. And then just these statements of truth that are in the midst of it that we know. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a brand new nature inside of you that is holy, perfect, and it's the real you. That which is going to line out eternally, that this is the nature of what it is to be born again. We know that that person who is born again is kept by God. The one who is born of God, a reference to Jesus there, he's the one that's holding us. He's the one who's keeping us. That's really good news as we battle with our flesh in this world. But add to that, we know that the wicked one does not touch us that Satan has no ability to get his hand on that because we're his. We know that in this world we belong to God, but this whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. These are realities that they're true. They're true whether you understand them or not. They're true whether you believe them or not. They're just true. So he's just done a good thing. He said, okay, here's what we know. These are things that are real. These are things that are genuine. But now he lands it almost in a, in a far greater way. We've kind of almost began our way at the outside, moving to the most central and important thing, which is where we are in verse 20, where he brings us again to the thing that what we recognize, what we're being invited to know, is God himself and, and this incredible nature of our salvation, the incredible nature of all that's there, that he's telling us, hey, this is what we know. So what is it? Well, again, it's about Jesus. It says, we know that the Son of God. Pause there. So the Son of God, this is Jesus. This is a reference to Jesus. And he's telling us what we know, what, what is absolutely solid. We know that he's come. We know that he's come. And we know that he has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. These are things that we know. So as he lays this out, he, it's a, a reference to an understanding that we know that Jesus, as the Son of God, as God, has truly and really come. Now, this is important. This isn't just a fictional story. 
This isn't just a, a, an account of, you know, some fable kind of deal. Jesus really did come. In fact, that is so well known across even those who don't believe in Jesus. No matter where they land, people say, well, we know that Jesus came. I mean, historically, this is a real thing. He came at a real point in time. He came in a real place. I mean, Jesus really did come. But what John does is he takes it bigger than that. He says he came, and he's the Son of God. This is a reference to Jesus not just coming, but that he is God come in the flesh, that he's, that he's the Son of God who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave. We know that Jesus came. We know that Jesus came. In fact, John Stott, when he looked at this, said it this way. When we think about this verse, that it goes on to say that this is the true God in eternal life. He says, this is the most unequivocal statement of the deity of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That, you know, we have this hold that the Bible tells us that Jesus is God and that Jesus is man. But right here, it is so powerfully stated. In fact, it's been one of those debates. Very early in church history, there were a number of attacks against Christianity. One of the men named Arius came up with an idea where he began to say, well, you know, maybe Jesus is just a good man. And, and, and they debated and, and just solidly, no, no, Jesus is God. So many verses were just held out, but this was one of the key ones because it's so clear. It is so clear. It is just beyond any doubt that is telling us right now that here's what we know. He's the Son of God. And he says, this is the true God. This is eternal life that is found in Jesus. I mean, there's this incredible reality that this is what is true. It's this nature of proclamation that Jesus has come, that Jesus came. I mean, that's what he's telling us is 100% solid. That's what he's telling us is 100% known. And what he did is he came and gave us an understanding. He gave us an understanding whereby we could know God. It's a pretty incredible statement that we need to wrap our minds around. We'll do a little bit here and we'll come back to it and try to say it from a couple of ways. But there's a nature here of what Jesus has done. And, and, and I love the way that it does. That, you know, you can look at this and say, okay, he has given us this understanding. He's the one that, that's done this in a way, that he's the one that's accomplished this, that Jesus came and made a way for us to have this relationship with God. In fact, there is this understanding that we could only get to God through him, that we have this life in him. Now, that's really been talked about already in our text, but let's back up and see it. Go back to verse 11 with me just for a moment. Chapter 5, 1 John verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, who does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Sometimes it's just said so simply, so 100% clearly that it just should not be missed. Have Jesus. You have Jesus. You have life. You don't have Jesus. You don't. Nothing else will work. Nothing else saves. Nothing else will be there. The only way to this is that Jesus would do this, and that's what he accomplished. He came and gave us what we could not do, and that's the idea of this word that he has given that he has come and imparted to us the ability to have this relationship. David Guzik, in his commentary, said it this way. He said, significantly, this understanding, this ability for us to know God, must be given. 
We cannot attain it on our own. If God did not reveal himself to us, we would never find him. If God didn't do it, there would be no way for us to ever know God. If God didn't make a way for you to know God, you could never have known him. There would be no place that you could strive hard enough, work hard enough, do enough that you could earn, gain, get there on your own. It was the only way that Jesus gave us what we could never get any other way. He came and and brought this to us. And I think about how he tells it to us this way in 2 Corinthians 4. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. It's like one of these verses that's just meant to explode across your imagination for a moment. He takes you all the way back to Genesis 1, and he says it's the God who created everything. The God who spoke and said, light be, and light was. I mean, everything changed at this moment. When God to, you know, spoke and, and light exploded out of the darkness, he said the same God who spoke that has spoken this. He is the one that's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That the only way that we could have ever seen, the only way that we could ever know is that God just, he spoke and he gave it to us in Christ so that by knowing Jesus, we have access to this by, by, by him, and only through him is this possible. I think about it. You guys maybe have already thought about it. But right before Jesus went to the cross, he's having a conversation with his disciples. One of his disciples, Philip, said to him, Lord, just show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us, which is actually just a funny statement on a number of levels, by the way. It's like, oh, yeah, just give us God. That's all. I mean, but it's just this crazy kind of statement that, that Philip makes, but I'm glad he makes it because Jesus is able to speak into that, and he just tells him, have I been with you so long, yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you want to see God? You want to know God? It's found in Jesus. To, to know Jesus is to know God. That's what Jesus came to unpack for us. That's what Jesus came to make possible for us that could not have happened any other way. I mean, that's what he's laying out to us right here. He's telling us, hey, this is what we have, that, that we know this, that what we're celebrating, what we're recognizing right now is that we get to, have, we get to know God, that we get to, have, to know him, to have this relationship with him. He says, that's what Jesus has done. He has come to give us that. He has come to make that possible. Okay, well, let's back up for a moment. So it's a pretty incredible phrase, and there's just a lot in this single verse, which is why we're only really covering uh, one verse this morning. But again, I love the way he says it. So he says, we know this. Like, this is what we know. The Son of God has come. Like, Jesus has come. He has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. So in the midst of this, we're seeing a number of things. We're seeing the, the things that were accomplished. But one of the things that's being highlighted specifically in this section is this idea of understanding or knowing. In fact, three times he uses a word for that, right? So he begins with the idea of we know. Then he says that Jesus has given us an understanding. And then he'll say again that we may know. Now, all three of these terms have this kind of concept of knowing or understanding, but Interestingly enough, they each come at it from a different angle. In fact, there are three different Greek words. 
Now, I recognize you're reading it in the English with me, and if you are, you will note that you have two words. You have know, understand, and then you have the word know again. But it's one of the things that the Greek language, the New Testament was written in, is a far more articulate language uh, than the English language and, and has words that saying it better. And so there's multiple words at times for the single English words we have. That can be problematic, I understand that, but I want to do my best to help you get it. So all three of these words are different, and they come across differently. So the first word, uh, the word knowledge is the word oida in the Greek language, and it speaks of factual knowledge, knowledge that is it's just true. It's just solidly there, which is what we've already talked about, right? That's kind of where we spent our time last week, and it kind of flows into this week, where I told you, hey, these things are just true. They are true. Believe them or not, they are, they are, they are facts. They are facts to be comprehended. They are facts to be recognized but they are things that we get to know. So he's able to say, hey, we know this, that the Son of God has come. Like we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, this is what we know. This is what we're able to recognize. This is what we're able to see is that is solid and and we can recognize that. That takes us to the second word that speaks of knowledge or understanding. It is the word understanding. It is diania in the Greek language uh, that has the idea of insight or perception. But it's hard for me to communicate what it's saying. It has the idea of giving you the ability to understand, of, of taking it so that something you never would have been able to understand, just opening up our minds, just causing our minds, our hearts to be open to this in a way that we never could have had understanding had it not been given, which is what's how he even refers to it in the text. He says that this understanding has been given to us so that now we could have this. So we watch these two things, and in the, the layout of this, these first couple words of knowledge are things that are both put in the past tense. So we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding. These things are there. This is what Jesus has done. He has come, and He has made a way for people to know God, and those are true. But the third one is put in the realm of potential. In fact, it's a different word. It is the Greek word gnosko, uh, which is a fascinating word for knowledge that speaks not just of truth, though it recognizes truth, but truth that is gained through a personal experience, uh, what some would call an experiential knowledge, that it's not enough just to have facts, it's got to be personal. It's not enough just to have it be true, but it's got to become something that's personally true or experientially true in your life. And again, I like how it lays out because he puts it to us in the realm of potential or possibility. He says that we may know. Like, this is what he's done. This is what he's done to make this possible, and that's exactly what he's holding out. That's exactly what he's holding out to us this morning. That's exactly what he's making just open and possible before us. See, I think about it this way. Paul, in his own personal testimony, in Philippians 3, would say it this way. He says, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. If you want to go back and read all of it later, you might want to do so. But he says, I count it all lost. What did he count lost? Every other thing that he used to trust in. He, he goes through in the early part of the chapter and just talks about things that he was doing to try to earn God's favor. Ways that he was trying to say to, to be good enough or to, to earn or to be a part of that. And yet he came to see Christ. 
and came to see that Jesus came, that Jesus is the one that has opened up this way now to, to, to know God. And so he looks upon everything else he trusted and says, you know what, that doesn't mean anything to me any longer. That's all loss. I, I, I count it as nothing. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I have no confidence in myself. I have no confidence in what I was or what I've done. All my confidence is now in Christ for this excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That has got to be one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. I, I've shared it before, and so I apologize for if you're already way ahead of me in it, but it's worth just kind of wrapping your minds for around for a moment. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So it's to know Jesus. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Paul says, I found it. I now know Jesus. And he says, this knowledge is excellent. The word excellent, again, in the Greek language, is more power and picturesque than in the English language. It would have the idea of super surpassing. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's like Jim's translation of it. Uh, it's not probably a great translation, but I just want you to think about it. It's like super surpassing. So what the idea is it's not just a little bit better. It's not like, okay, well, you know, they were running neck and neck, and then, you know, Jesus was a little bit better. Like, I, I found Jesus to be, you know, he actually is a little bit surpassing. No, he says he's like super surpassing. It's like he it is so much better that it leaves everything else in the dust, that everything else, it just, it just blows past it in some kind of rocket out kind of way. So they're not even in the same ballpark any longer. It's like this is so much bigger and this is so 10,000 hundred times better than anything you've ever imagined. I, found, I got Jesus. I now know Jesus and everything else is gone. Everything else means nothing to me because I've figured out what life is really found in. That's amazing. I mean, that's the amazing thing that he's able to say, that's what we now know because that's what Jesus has done. He has done what nothing else could do. He's been the one that through knowing him, we have life. Now, we know that in so many ways. Jesus prayed this, by the way. The night before he goes to the cross, he's praying in what's known as this high priestly prayer in John 17. And in it, he's praying for even you, by the way, because he mentions all believers who will ever believe in him in those verses. And he says it this way as he's praying. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He says, here it is. Here's what I'm praying for. I want you to have eternal life. I'm praying for them. How are they going to have that? There's only one God. <laughs> There's a true God. And the only way to know that is to know him, to know God through knowing Christ, that God has sent his son. And, 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 and yet that incredible reality just lands for us as clear as it can be and saying, hey, that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what's being laid out to us. That's exactly what's being held out to us. And it just could not be more important than to know this. Because, again, the sad reality is there are counterfeits. There are counterfeits of things that say, hey, if you do this, you can be saved. Believe in this and you can get to eternal life. Believe in this and you'll make it. And the sad reality is there are people who believe it. Lots of them. Many of them. Maybe in this room. To know God is what we need. And the only way to have that is in Jesus, to, to know him. I like how I talked about it in Galatians, that, that we might know him or better that he knows us. 
Maybe the scariest passage for me in the Bible is found in, in Matthew 7 when Jesus is giving it the Sermon on the Mount, and he says it in the last days. He says, many of people are going to come before Jesus, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. They're going to acknowledge that he's, hey, Lord, Lord, here we want to come in, and they're going to have an expectation that they're going to get into heaven. They will have bought the lie. They will have invested their soul in the counterfeits, the other gods, the other ways. Uh, Jesus talks about some who think it's going to be by their good works because look at all the good things we've done. Others are going to be because of, you know, just because they just knew it as a fact and it wasn't yet personal. And then Jesus says, I'm just going to tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me into everlasting unrighteousness. And there just could not be a more terrifying moment than that. For, for to find at that moment that there are people, and again, I take Jesus' words as authoritative. He says there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people who are believing this, who bought into a lie that is not going to help, it's not going to save. But they don't know me, and I don't know them. And they thought they were going to make it on their own. They thought that their own works were going to be good enough. They believed that. So the measure of how scary the counterfeit is is a measure of how much you would lose. And guys, this would be everything. And it would just mean so much to me if if that wasn't anybody here right now. I mean, I I don't know that that's a fact, but it's possible. You might be here in this room and you're listening to me and still in the back of your, you you just don't really believe it. I mean, you're, you're kind of like, well, you know, Jim, you're one of those Jesus freaks. That's fine. You know, you're, you, know you, you guys get all about Jesus. And it's just, but, you know, I'm kind of, you know, as long as you, you know, believe there's a God and you try to be good, I think you're going to make it. Really? Like, how did you think that's going to work out for you? Like, who sold you that lie? Because I can tell you that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says there's one God and there's one way. There's one God and there's one way. Nobody gets in any other way. If you get there and you're like, well, you know, I try to be a good person and, you know, just, you know, I kind of think, hey, you know, good Muslims are going to make it and, you know, good people and whatever cult, as long as they're trying and kind of, that's not what Jesus says. He says there's one God and there's one way and everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else is a counterfeit. And he just is holding this out to us and saying, hey, you desperately need to know this because at the very moment, I mean, there's just, there's not anything else that's more risky than this. But Jesus is the way. He's the one that came to make a way for us to know God, to have eternal life, and it's all found in Jesus. Because he's the only way to know him. We know that Jesus has come. He has given us this ability. He's opened up the way so that we could know God, so that we could know God, the, the true God, and there's no other way to that. If you're outside of that this morning, I am pleading with you with everything I can possibly plead with you. Believe. Believe God's word. You don't have to believe me. Believe his word, where he's telling us there's one God, and there's one way. Believe Jesus and, and, and be rescued right now. If you're hoping for anything else, you are believing a lie. If you're hoping for any other way to make it to heaven, you are, you, you are, you've, you've bought into a lie that puts your very soul at risk. By God's grace, I just plead with you, just recognize this is true. That this is what Jesus comes so that you could have this, so that you could know this, and that is incredible. 
Again, that's the biggest weight of this, and it really is partly what John is just trying to do here is he's wrote this letter dealing with false teaching in his day that kind of goes through all false teachings throughout, there, saying, hey, if you believe anything else, if you go any other direction, you're believing a lie. Don't go there. Don't go there. Yet in the midst of this, there is still an invitation for more. So again, just pleading with you, if you're that person that's outside of this, I'm longing for you to come to Jesus. I'm longing for you to recognize him. But for many of you, you have. You've entered into this, but there's something even in this that is still beautifully more. See, he gives us this whole thing. He says, here's what we know. The Son of God has come. He has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. There's an invitation of the gospel there. Again, if that's not you, that you could come and know Jesus. But there's an invitation to believers to know him more. Because the reality of what we have in Christ is that Jesus has made a way that you could know him. And it's put in such a potential way that saying that you might, that you could, that you might know him more. And the biblical invitation is an invitation that says, don't, you know, you, you recognize that it's Christ. And then to say, well, I want, I want to know more of that. Again, Paul in his own testimony, if you want to go back and read all of Philippians 3 later, it's a great testimony. He talks about it in his own life. He says, once I figured it out. Like once I figured out the, you know, just the, the incredible, that Christ is everything, the far surpassing knowledge of Christ, the super surpassing knowledge of Christ. He says, now, you know, I recognize I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm pressing after that one thing that's in front of me, which is what? Which is knowing Jesus. He says, I just want to know him. I just want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Like I am after that. I figured out that this is where life is found, and that's what I'm pursuing. When we close in just a few minutes, and don't, don't think we're done yet, so it's not, but when we close in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song, and it's one we've been singing for a little bit. I really, really enjoy it, just I want to know you. I love the refrain in it, where in the midst of it, it says, you know, it's just, just Jesus, it's to know you. It's to know you. Like, that's the essence of our salvation. That's the weight of who we are. But then it says, I just want to know you more then to know you more, that there's a, an invitation to say, I mean, to know that I'm in, and then to look at this and say, I want more. I mean, if Jesus has opened up the door for me to know God, I've only begun. I've only begun in this understanding of, of, of knowing God. I want to I dive into that with full abandon. I want to say, okay, God, that's what I'm after. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And so in the midst of this, there is this invitation just telling you right now, you can. You may know him who is true because Jesus has made a way. There's not anybody in this room right now that you're outside of that potential. If you know Jesus specifically, again, it's got to begin there. There's not anybody that's like, well, you know, this is for other people that can get really serious. Like, you could know him more. And it's an invitation just to say, okay, well, I want that. I want to dive into that. I want to be in the midst of that. And it's an incredibly good invitation. Well, with this, he gives one more piece of uh, the pie that's worth us just noting before we finish. Go back and notice it there again in verse 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. Yeah, it's the third time he says, the, I'm sorry, the second time in the midst of the three times that he uses that word true, that there's an authentic place, he says, where we not just get to know him, 
We get to be in him. We don't just get to know him. It talks about this true dwelling in Christ. What some have talked about is the the union and communion, the relationship that God has given us in Christ. And I want to just tell you, I, I wish we could talk about this for a lot longer, but I'll be also just be entirely honest with you. I don't even know how to unpack it. I just don't. It is one of the most amazing and glorious things that to really be a Christian is not just to be saved by Christ. It's to be in Christ. It's to be in Him. In fact, this is so much a part of the New Testament that that phrase, in Christ, is used almost a hundred times in the New Testament. If you add to it the times that are in Jesus Christ, or in God, or in Him, we now move into several hundred times where it just talks about who we are in, in, in salvation is that we're in Him. And I, I don't even know how to communicate how incredible this is. I'll give you a couple verses if it helps you. It tells it this way in 2 Corinthians. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it just describes if you're saved, you're, you're brand new, but you're in him. You're in Christ. Colossians would give it to us this way. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. The nature of what God has done is far beyond, far beyond what I can put into words. It's not just into being saved, it's being drawn into such a relationship with God that we are not just saved by, but we are in Christ, as if you're enveloped by Christ, as if to say, you know, that, that where Christ is, you, you, you're, you're in Him, so united, so much a part of that, so that our, our salvation, it's not just that, like, we, you know, tip our hat to Jesus. I'm like, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> I got it. You know, and now I'm, it's like, I'm in Christ. This captures my imagination. It, it captures my understanding. But again, I just find myself not having any way to communicate it. So I'll just give it to you in a silly way, not a silly way, but in a small way that tries to encompass this great reality. Um, so one of the things we, we do as a church is we have a lady in our church who has a greeting card ministry. I mean, she makes these hand-done greeting cards that are like birthday cards and, 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 and just kind of uh, anniversary celebrations. And if you have never got one from us, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. It's just because you haven't told us. I mean, because we don't know your birthday. I mean, if you're like, I didn't get one, well, we have these little connection cards in the back of the little pockets there. Hey, write, give us your information. I mean, for no other reason than they get these incredible cards because they are incredible. But why do I tell you all that? Because I get to sign them. Uh, they, they pat, as this lady makes them for people, we, we get in the office and we sit down and we sign them. And so when I do that, without fail, I mean, nobody else may know this, but I know this, without fail, every single time, I end whatever I say with that phrase, in Christ, and I sign it, Jim. Now, somebody's going to be like, is that what that says? <laughs> Jim, you have really bad handwriting. It's true. I do. You know, that's why I type most things. But I do. I mean, maybe you get an email from me. I almost always end that way. And I do so only with believers. And I do so only in one sense of a celebration. But when I get to sign those cards, there's something about me speaking to those of us who are part of this fellowship and saying, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. I mean, that's what we're going to celebrate. I mean, this, this beautiful part of our relationship, and I'm so glad to be, but we're in 
Christ. I mean, there's, there's just, if you could almost just hear that, it's like, well, that's just incredible. Like, that's just, that's amazing. That's glorious. That's, well, yeah, that's what we are. That's the real deal. That's the nature of real salvation. That's the nature of what God has done. And there's a sense of just understanding it is Jesus. Maybe you heard it said a dozen times that way, but it really is all about Jesus. And that's this. Jesus has come. And he has been the one that's opened up a way for us to know God and now to be not just saved by him, but united in Christ, brought into a relationship with Christ that far surpasses anything that any words could ever explain. But that's the real deal. That's the real deal. So let's close there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And I don't know where this morning lands with you, but I will just say this. Maybe, again, you're not here in Christ. Maybe you're listening to me, but somehow you still have believed it. You've believed a lie. You've trusted in something that's not going to work. And if nothing else, I mean, just please understand how serious this is. Make sure you're in Christ. Make sure that that you have it, because there's only one way. There's one God, and there's one way in. There's only one God, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. If you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in your works, if you're trusting in your church, if you're trusting in, you know, hey, God's going to let it all work out, my good works are going to outweigh my bad, you are believing a lie because there's no other way. And maybe this morning you need to recognize that. Maybe this morning as we just take a moment to pray and give you a moment to pray, you need to surrender your life to Jesus, and we invite you to that. We invite you, again, that nothing could be more important than this. Nothing is more at risky than your soul. So today we invite you to Christ, the only way to be saved. But for many of you here this morning, you are. And sometimes we just need to hear all this. Sometimes we just need to hear how incredible it is and to be reminded, like, this is who we are. We get to know there's only one God. And Jesus has come to make a way for me to know him. Not only to know him, but to get eternal life. And that eternal life is so amazing. I get to be in Christ. I mean, how can I even begin to comprehend what that is? But it's big, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's glorious. And to know that, just to have it to wash over you, is so incredible. So let's take a moment. I'm going to give you just a moment to pray as we do on Sunday mornings. It might be surrender. It might be you asking Jesus to save you. Maybe recognizing your desperate need for Jesus. We would long for that. It might be that you're praying for somebody else. That's a good thing too. But if you know him, it's also a time of just letting it wash over you. Letting it just be that place of just recognizing that this is who you are and how amazing. He's a true God. He's the authentic God in a world that is so marked by phony and fake and things that are not real. This is real. He's real. And this is really what we have. So quietly between you and the Lord, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same, and then we'll close together in worship in just a moment.
God, how good it is to come and just recognize afresh. You're God. And there is no other. Well, we live in a world marked with so many lies, so many things that offer themselves up as God. And they're all lies. That's tragic. That's so heartbreakingly sad, but to come and to recognize right now that you are God. And one God, one true and living God. It's amazing. But if that's all that we had, it would be beautiful, but terrifying. Because we have no way in. We couldn't have done this on our own. But Jesus, you came. You came and opened up a way and give us understanding, to give us a place where we could know and have a relationship with God. Came and died on the cross for us, paying a price, making a way, the one and only way to be saved. Thank you. Thank you. Words fail. How do you say that? How do you look on what you are to us and recognize you've accomplished what nothing else could? But we just own it right now. There's no other way. God, for anyone who's here this morning that's trusting in another way to get to heaven, they think they're good enough. Or they think that somehow the good works are going to outweigh their bad. Or they think they're religious enough. Or they think that everybody makes it. Explode the lie. Destroy it. Tear it down. So that they'd recognize there's no other way. There's no other way to be saved draw these to you. Draw them into believing in Jesus, for you said if we have Jesus, we have life. And then, Lord, we just want to celebrate. For those of us who are in that, sometimes we can almost lose sight of how amazing this is and be reminded again of of the one true God when everything else out there is a lie. But we have you. And Jesus, you've made a way for us to know, to know you. And Lord, I I want that. I want to know you and I want to know you more. Recognizing what's made possible for us to be in Christ. That's who we are. I want to live more in that, know it more and know you more. Thanking you so much for what you are, Lord. I do that right now and just ask that you would draw us in. Praying for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen.